Welcome to the Writer's Room, where funny writers who sit in funny rooms and write funny words for other people finally get to talk. Here's your host, me, Jeff Cicero. Uh My guest, Alex Salkin. Uh, wow, what a great uh, experience going from Kilbourn to the pits, which yep. short-lived but incredibly rich. Yes. And then there has to be a moment on that where you're thinking as you've already pointed out, but you're thinking to yourself, uh, you probably see the writing on the wall or Mike, uh, the team at the head, uh, Mike and his wife are thinking, eh, okay, let's make the best of this. This may not go much beyond six o'clock today. We don't know. Right. And you've got the only other guy in the room who's got any cred whatsoever is Seth McFarland and his shows on some sort of, what could be permanent hiatus. Nobody knows. Yeah. So you're, you're, you're at this level, like right here thinking, eh, all right, I better get some packets together and I better. And then the McFarland thing works out. He likes your writing. His show does come back. He does pick you up. And suddenly the guard pulls, the tackle hits his block on the linebacker. And you're staring at the frickin' end zone. Yeah. Like, I better get my ass in gear here. I got a hole. I love that. We make a seal here and a seal here and then, then daylight. Yeah. Even no, I, Sulkin can run through this. Know, Let's go. I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm like the Jewish Gail Sayers. Give me six inches of penis and I'll get make it anywhere. Um yeah. Um so you're exactly right. And I didn't even know it at the time. Like, I didn't even know that the hole was opening so wide. I knew that, you know, it was incredible that they wanted to bring this show Family Guy back. By the way, I was not a Family Guy fan. I don't even know if I had ever seen it because I was a Simpsons purist. You know, I loved right. The Simpsons. And so I think I took on the view of a lot of Simpsons purists that like, oh, Family Guy is just, they're just copying the sim it's just a jv simpsons if that right, right and then when i met seth and we started working together i'm like well this guy is really funny like i i don't know i haven't still haven't seen his show but he's funny and so then when it was like okay the show's coming back and i would like you to work on it i was like okay well i better buy the dvds and watch these shows and so i did and i was like you know what this show is funny like i i'm i'm now excited to go back and work here and when we came back and that first table read when Family Guy returned, it was like you would imagine, you know, after the the Roman army defeats someone way off and far off Gaul or Turkey or something, and then they return to Rome and the, the flowers being thrown at their feet as they walk through the gates of Rome. It was like it's been like a nonstop, uh, you know, Rudy being carried off the field for right. like the last 19 years wow and, and also uh a great um a great piece of advice which is this has happened so many times doing this show where writers have said i wasn't actually familiar with the work i was being offered on the next yes. step yeah. uh that's okay just don't badmouth it you know right. <laughs> like right. you may not know it <laughs> Just don't badmouth it and then take a little time to go familiarize yourself with it. You never know. You might like it. And boom, a whole thing opens up. 
Yeah. And that's a key. What you just said is, is yes, don't badmouth it. Absolutely. But then please, if you haven't seen it, that's okay. As you point out, but do make the effort to go and familiarize yourself with it because nothing is more infuriating and it still happens, you know, uh, still working there and we get new, new writers on the show and they just, it's, it's not that everybody now has sort of seen some version of family guy. You can't, it's not credible to say like, Oh, I don't know what it is, but the, if you're coming on, uh, on staff of a show that's been around for a while, like family guy, watch it all. It's not that much of a hardship to have to watch like a funny cartoon. You can watch one a day. You can do whatever the hell you want, but really try and get through it so you're not in there embarrassing yourself by pitching an episode that we did three years ago. Right, right. And even as daunting as it may seem with a show that's been around as long as Family Guy, you know, you're looking at 20 healthy years there Mm -hmm. worth of shows. Those shows fly by. If you're not laughing at those shows, maybe you shouldn't apply for the job, quite honestly, even if you're desperate for a job. I mean, there is a sense of humor to those shows. Describe how those shows get layered with jokes. It still blows my mind Yeah, how jokes are layered. I I had the good fortune to do a very short voiceover on it. As Chet Waterhouse, yeah, uh, uh, calling a poker tournament in which Peter was wearing mirrored shades or something, and so <laughs> everything was a giveaway. But I went, boy, I think I did a good job for them, and 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 then it looked good on air, and then I went, this is great, wow, what hard work, and then I went, oh, that's literally eleven seconds of a twenty-two minute episode, right? <laughs> and they take this level of care. For every 11 seconds. And I'm like, oh, my God, how does this happen? Yeah. Well, obviously, Family Guy is one of those shows where I would say uh, I I feel like I can safely say we prioritize uh, jokes over character and over story. You know, it's not one of those shows like uh, Friends or something where there's like an arc that, you know, you're following Ross and Rachel or whatever the hell you're following. It's each episode is standalone. And the in terms of the layering of jokes, that's where having a big staff really helps because you can send, you know, we have 20 plus writers on staff. Wow. So you can divide into three rooms of six and still have two or three people out of the office writing scripts. And each room of six can work all day on one joke. And like, you know, it doesn't always work out that way. Usually you have some rooms being a little more productive than that, but it it can absolutely be the case where something like the bit that you came in and, and recorded for us, which was, as you described the, the poker game where Peter has the mirrored glasses. So the other players can see his hand, you know, see what cards he's holding. Um, You know, that could potentially be, uh, a day of a room trying to figure out, you know, what that, what that bit is. Yeah. So we wow. keep, and, and, and with each episode, we put all the, you know, the full force of the writing staff to, to work on each episode. So it's going to have, it's going to be packed with jokes. Do you consciously say to yourself, 
Could something be happening in the background of this main joke that will also be funny and maybe not tied in any way to the main joke, but tied to something that may have happened? Somebody runs through on fire from two scenes ago, or how does the, how do those threads get woven in? Yeah, well, that that's an interesting question, and and um, that absolutely does happen, um, yeah. almost exactly as you described. And um, I think that's that usually comes out of if we're working on a joke, and and we either can't think of the punchline, or it's it, we can think of the punchline, but maybe it's just not quite funny enough. Somehow, it's not quite as hard hitting funny as we would want it to be. Then somebody can suggest some kind of callback to something else that's happened in the episode to to give it that little extra boost right. in the moment. And as, of course, being in animation, it's very freeing because you can have anybody running through at any point doing anything, and right, uh, right. it all works. But yeah, so I think that oftentimes when you have a joke in the foreground and then something else that's going on in the background, it could be totally planned, or it could just mean in that moment whatever's going on in the foreground is not quite hilarious enough to stand on its own. Right. So we need a little help. It's, 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 uh, I'm not a huge magic fan, but maybe that's one of the few things that borrowed from it. That's, that can be quite essential in a room. It's like, Hey, something shiny over here. Yeah. And then bam, exactly. you're off to the next scene. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Right. So you climb the ranks as a writer. Where do you right. start? Are Are you one of the, 20 in the room or however big the staff was in in 2001 or 2002 and then eventually this it d- does seth mcfarland just say to himself i keep you know hitting on all cylinders with sulkin yeah i gotta start I, moving him up i gotta start bringing him into the inner circle a little quicker yeah i think that's that is basically uh pretty well said in terms of how it went again he and I being uh, pretty much exactly the same age is a huge help because our frames of reference are very similar. So I think I've noticed um, that even when you're close in age with people, there are little microclimates of age where if you were born in, in 1970, your frame of reference is a little bit different than somebody who was born in 1972. And the same goes for 1974. Even though they're pretty close and you may have gone through school together, there's still things that you miss that the others saw and vice versa. So Seth and I being pretty much in lockstep that way, every movie reference, every song reference, every commercial reference, which Family Guy is always full of those things. Right. Like we, of, yeah. we were in, in lockstep there. And also... He's a huge Star Wars fan, as am I. And I think that I really uh, helped boost the Star Wars references, you know, when the when the show came back. They had already had some in the first few seasons of the show. But I think when I came in there, um, I gave Seth more free license to even pitch himself the Star Wars things, knowing that I would totally get it. Um, And that eventually led to him letting me write the first Star Wars episode, uh, which was, you know, an honor and just such a great experience. And then and legendary, that kind of, legendary episode. It was it. it I mean, we had so much help from the Lucasfilm people because that was before they were bought by Disney. They signed off on all of it. They let us use all the music. We got to screen it 
for George Lucas. Like I was sitting two seats away from George Lucas watching this episode of us making fun of his greatest work. And he was laughing the whole time. It was awesome. But then so off the success of that, then that kind of led right into the the Ted, you know, the movie Ted. Seth mm-hmm. had that kernel of an idea and asked me if I would help him write it. So then then we were off and running and and that has kind of led to where I am now as as one of the the showrunners at at Family Guy uh just because of the the strength of our comedic bond. What's going through your head when you go from writers room to sort of inner circle or at least for lack of a better term Seth's bullpen and then all of a sudden you're writing what turns out to be this legendary episode then you're writing movies you're going to premieres and it seems like five months maybe it's been five years but who who knows or cares at that point it just seems like this particle accelerator takes over yes is there a moment during that where you turn around and go was wasn't I just trying to sink a Nerf hoop in my college dorm? What is this? Yes. Many times I had that that thought along the way. But then I think, which is sort of a the darker side of human nature, it gives way to something else, which is sort of the feeling of like, screw everybody else. I made the right jokes at the right time. I deserve this. And so then, of course, the, the writer mentality often, you know, wavers violently between that extreme self-confidence and the other side, which is I'm terrible at what I do and I'm worthless and what what the hell I've just stumbled blindly through this and somehow made it. Yeah, that that is that is a seesaw. Yeah, that uh, and you're on both ends of it. It's that's a wild one. Yeah, that is really true. Um, But clearly there's a simpatico and i know a little bit of that uh from working with dennis miller and the same thing sort of hit for us um before he hit on snl we were just stand-ups in la and for some reason we just bonded and we would laugh over the same sports references the same cultural references the same level of knowledge of the cultural reference like we would both use Koyana Squatsi yeah. and neither of us knew really what it meant, but we knew it was in the zeitgeist, you know? Yeah. So, and we would howl about the fact that we knew like that much of what that, you know, still so, life out of balance. Yes. Yes. I, had I known I could have made even better jokes, uh, but just the idea of, there's almost a thrill to that that's separate from show business. Yes. It's just human. Yes. Where you go, oh, I, I can't believe I'm in complete sync with another human being. And what's coming out seems to be funny to other people. Yes, absolutely right. And very well said. And that I I uh, I mean, I would have loved to have seen you and Dennis uh, conversing back in back in the 80s. Uh, I think that would have been hilarious. I think he's but you're both hysterical. So that that sounds well awesome. to feed into that because you like the Chet Waterhouse character, the sports announcer guy. Yeah. Dude, we would do that before it was even right around when I was labeling it as Chet. But we would do it in the late 80s to each other. Yeah. 
And he would do it back as, as a little bit more of this guy, you know, <laughs> kind of the play-by-play guy to the color guy. And we would do it with the speaking of transition and just challenge ourselves to see how long we could go with absurdist references. You know, man, oh, man, there's a hot shot to center. That's going to drop. Ooh, that was blistering. Speaking of blistering, and the other guy would take it over and go into some horrible you know, atomic war reference. Who knows? But then yeah. bring it back. Or we would do that literally. And for five minutes, people would die laughing. And that. then they would go, oh, they're not going to stop. Yeah. And we wouldn't, we, w- we would hardly be conscious. They would just leave and we would keep right. going for like 40 minutes. And it, it didn't matter if there was anybody else there or not. There was just I love that. this other thing going. And you shared that. Certainly with Seth. Yeah, absolutely. Did, did the, uh, are you from the same neck of the woods? I think you're close, yeah. aren't you? Yeah, ish. He's from Connecticut and I'm from Massachusetts. So it's pretty, pretty close. And we have the same kind of New England references as well. Boy, that's so cool. Yeah. To, to have that. Yes. And, and then to see it get traction. And show business. How was he coming back from what's a can- essentially a cancellation yeah. of of his baby, and then somehow it comes back, and the network says, "Okay, enough people have spoken. I'm going to let you go." But you know, you know, there have got to be people at the network, an entire camp of them going. The second this falters, we're going in with a flamethrower and everybody's gone (laughs) yeah well and then another camp that's pulling for you but you know it's there how how does he deal with it how did you guys deal with it as a room well i think it was it was excellent how uh we dealt with it which is the the very first episode of season four which was the first episode back after the cancellation it's an episode called uh north by north quahog and one seth wrote himself and it starts with um yeah it's all right, all right. we use we use the north by northwest music in there which is of course great and uh but it starts with a joke of the family sitting in the living room as they often did uh and r- reading the paper or somebody comes in on the phone like hey guys you know fox is bringing us back onto tv and Peter says, well, I don't I don't think that's likely because and then he goes through it. He did a list and it was of 30 shows that had come and failed that they tried to replace Family Guy with like the loop, the this, the fret, you know, what other all wacky names like, you know, in a row. And and Peter's like, well, I guess if all those fail, then maybe we have a chance. And then the show (laughs) opened. So it was like he came back. With a little bit of a chip on his shoulder, like you fucking tried so many times to oh, to get a great. show that worked and you couldn't. And so now here we are back on the air. So I think right away, Seth just turned into the skid and said, like, we're going to go at this. We're not going to pretend it didn't happen. We're going to make a big joke out of it up top and then right. let the chips fall where they will. Wow. Brilliant joke. So now the thing starts to get traction. You're writing, you're writing, you're moving up. At some point, 
certainly later in the operation. But well, let's let's talk about some episodes that that you wrote. Uh, I, I believe uh, chick cancer. Uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, was... that sounds familiar. <laughs> I just love the name of that. Yeah, <laughs> it's, so... yeah it's, it's a great title. It I means might... everybody instantly. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> Cancer patients, women, everybody, everybody gone. Gone, gone right off the top. <laughs> well, another one was called, uh, which you couldn't even call it today. It was called Petarded. And it was an episode where Peter was, you know, diagnosed as just under the, uh, you know, the learning limit. Right, uh, right. And and we used the word, which you can't say anymore. And this right. was 2004, or whatever. But it was probably in the episode half a dozen times. So when you look back on those, do you go, oh, my God, how do we get away with this stuff? No, I mean, it just felt like it was okay. Yeah. It was it was part of what was going on. Right. It it just I mean, obviously, looking at, at things with the 2023 uh, lens, you can find fault in so much uh, that's already happened. And that includes, you know, watching like Caddyshack or, you know, they're just right. all, all the comedy classics or they're, you know, airplane with the two guys speaking jive. You're like, you could right. never do that today. Um, but it's yeah. funny, you know, it's just like, so I think that looking back on it, I, I'm a, I'm a bit wistful as to like, you know, well, look at what we used to be able to say and boy, wasn't it freeing. And of course, part of me is also like, yes, but some changes need to be made. And it's good that we're making progress socially and all that kind of stuff. Well, especially on a show. Yeah, yeah, all the social progress. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, let's get back. <laughs> on, a, on a show where you have uh, proudly stated, look, jokes are trumping anything else. Yeah. You are now in a tighter box. And yet that that can be another one of those okay that's the challenge men stand up dust yourselves off there's only 43 of us and 7000 of them let's yeah. go do it yep. is it that mentality is it all right all right it's harder so what yes that's exactly right and also i think we go into battle uh with the confidence that in certain ways family guy has been grandfathered in, uh, you know, mm-hmm. to to continue to make certain jokes that other shows would not be able to make. I think part of that has to do with being a cartoon, because I think people um, tend to just take a cartoon less seriously just because right. it is a cartoon. And also the fact that Family Guy's stock and trade is offensive jokes, you know, offensive, but funny, you know, you try and make funny first, but if it's partly offensive, that's okay. And so I think we know that our fans expect to be, you know, offended or hear racy material. And so going in, we can shoot for stuff and sometimes it'll get shot down by standards and and other times it doesn't. And we just like keep keep going on you know obviously we understand that there are things uh that you can't say or do today that you could 10 15 20 years ago um but also we are willing to push you know the boundaries of what you can still say right and and regardless of if they're new boundaries or not is there a uh redemption in punishment in other words if that's one of the things I always loved about Family Guy was that P- 
Peter can say anything. And if eventually his left arm just burns off in some crazy accident, right. everybody goes, oh, well, he got his comeuppance immediately and the arm will yeah. be back next. So is is there a, a yin and yang there that you play? There is. And and I don't think it's necessarily in the traditional sense of like, oh, this character learned a lesson by the end about right, right. acting a certain way. It's more like, hey, if you watch this show, the the person we make fun of by far the most is Peter himself. So it's like if he's going to say dumb stuff, borderline racist stuff, misogynistic stuff like you understand hey this is a guy we are constantly telling you is an idiot so like if he's gonna say stupid stuff like we've covered our bases there like we're telling you this guy's a moron so it's okay yeah that's awesome uh in those rooms or that large room uh do you still find the juice? Yeah. Is there still something for you that harkens back to 2001 when you took the chance and said, all right, I'll step into this room. Let's see what happens. Yes, absolutely. And that's, that's the best part of the job. And that's been the best part of being a comedy writer from the beginning is that the goal is to laugh. You know, the, you're, you're at a job where the goal is <laughs> to laugh yourself and to make other people laugh. And I still get a real thrill out of being made to laugh by something that I've never heard or sort of shocks me or making other people laugh. And so those moments, you know, they happen every day, you know, whether it's me laughing at something that other people are saying, or if I get to make, you know, a bunch of people laugh, it still happens every day. And that's that's great because that's that's why that's why we're doing it. Were you daunted when you moved up from writer to showrunner? And what's the difference for you? Okay, the, well, it's the the second question is a little more interesting. Um, Let's just go answer, with that. My, my answer, anyway. Question. Yeah, no. The the first one was not particularly daunted because I had been born witness to what they do for years and years and i was like okay i can i think that's okay um right, right. the the difference is we're still definitely writers the showrunners you know we participate in in the writing uh, uh of scripts this in in a room the same way that we would if we were just on staff it's just now we're deciding uh what goes into the script whereas before you know all you could do is pitch and hope for the best now it's like we're the arbiters of taste for for the episodes that are currently on and also there are other uh non-writing uh duties that go along with it legal calls standards calls uh yeah. being it records you know editing that kind of stuff so there's there's more to do um but also it it's kind of a great gig in that some days if there's like a tough spot you can just hand it off to a room of six people and say you guys figure it out like i don't i don't i don't know i got a show to run <laughs> yeah yeah i have to go briefly listen to jeff cesario do a 10 second bit <laughs> so you do this all day 
there is a sort of depth charge quality <laughs> to the rhythm of animation. And I'll never forget it, even though I kind of knew it in the back of my head to get a direct reminder from Alex Sulkin over my little 10 second chunk in a show. He, you literally said to me, just remember, you'll see this in like two years. Yeah, this will yeah. happen in two years. So it's like <clears throat> this thing, this barrel flies off a destroyer in the Pacific just sinks and you forget about it. Yeah. And then like 19 months later, somebody goes, Hey, I saw you on an episode of thing just last night. And I go, what? Yeah. <laughs> and you go, Oh, that's a happy explosion. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> is, no, the, is it still that rhythm for you or are you so you, you have to be used to it. I'm sure from a yeah. production standpoint. Yeah. I'm, I, I'm used to it now. And, and it's funny because, it's almost like the end product the, being the show that airs on Fox or then goes to Hulu whenever the next day or something. I'm almost unaware of that. Like I'm aware when we have a show on on Sunday, like I see on Instagram, the, the family guy account is saying, come, hey, look at our Peter does this on Sunday. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember that episode. But <laughs> but it's it's much more like. The day to day war uh, of being at work and you're writing an episode currently or you're watching a screening of an episode that's not going to come out still for a few months. So I feel like by the time an episode gets to the air, I've already experienced it, you know, three or four times along the way. So I don't feel like <clears throat> there's not that explosion at the end for me. It's just more like, a gradual thing where like a, like a flowing river where I continuously get to uh, right. read scripts and see screenings and, you know, see a color. And, and, and so I'm familiar with all the shows very, you know, by the time they, they reach air. How many major stages are there for you? you we know the beginning and the end. We know there's a, there's a show being written or a couple of episodes, two, three, four episodes being written today. And there's going to be a show that airs tomorrow night that was made 18 months to two years ago. Right. For you as a showrunner, what are the other main plateaus on the way to that? Yeah, that's a great question. So basically it starts with the kernel of an idea and then five or six writers will go off into a room and, and try to come up with a rough three act outline based on whatever, you know, Peter gets a horse or, you know, whatever it is. And yeah, it's it, that was that was an episode, and so <laughs> then this room will usually take, you know, maybe depending on who's running it, two or three days to come up with a rough uh, three act outline. Then we pick a writer. We say it's not always the writer who came up with the idea. It can be, and it often mm -hmm. is, but it isn't always. That's not a rule we'll pick a writer to go write this episode. So then we send that writer off for three days to basically transcribe the outline as it was written in the room to a prose version of an outline that we can leaf through. Then we give notes on the outline. They're usually not that extensive because we were there oftentimes during right. the outlining process. Then we say, okay, now go head off writer for two weeks and come up with a draft of this script. So they go off, they come back with the draft two weeks later, 
we look at it, we say, hey, this is great, but we let's change this. Maybe we tweak that. This joke could be better. We already did something like this. So we do like a, a little rewrite of it before we read it at table. So we have a table read. Um, and that's now, an animation we, table read. Yeah, yeah. Is that the actual voiceover actors who do the it parts used to for be. real? I think uh, I think it depends on the show. Like if you're a show in your first couple of seasons, I think the actors are going to be there for the table read to give it as much help as it can possibly get. Something like Family Guy now, we have our own writer actors who are now as beloved to us as as the regular actors are to the wide world. Like we have a guy who's who's been reading Peter for 15 years. We have a guy who's been reading, uh, you know, uh, Joe and every character down the line. So the table reads are very fun and we'll rewrite it again after the table read. If we hear like, oh, the, you know, they're, they didn't laugh at this or they, there was kind of a groan at this and we change it. Mm-hmm. Then it just goes into production. So we don't see it for a while. The next thing we see is called an animatic, and that's a few months later. It looks like a pencil drawing, but a cartoon, um, a moving cartoon, pencil drawn. And we watch that. We rewrite it again after that. It's usually not that extensive. Um, then it goes to Korea. It, it flies over the seas to South Korea, hopefully, and uh, they color it in. They basically, you know, what we see then a few months later is a color version of the episode. So it looks almost like the episode is going to look. It looks very close. We can make a few changes after the color and then we say goodbye to it. And it comes out on the air, you know, a couple months after that. Wow. That's quite a cycle. Yeah. And how much longer do you think you can take this pace? I mean... Not to sound like Icarus, but I feel like we've got it down. You know, I just think <laughs> I think that we're we're doing a good job of this. I mean, if this this goddamn leftist commie bullshit ever ends, then we can get back to it. No, I'm just kidding. I support the WGA, etc. Um, but w- I think we're doing a really good job. And we have, again, this large staff of writers, most of whom have been writing on the show over a dozen years, you know, so they all know what is required of them. They know the rhythms. They know what the characters do and don't say. Uh, And that all really helps the experience of it. You know, that Malcolm Gladwell thing of once you've been doing something for 10,000 hours, you become an expert at it. And I feel like so many of us on staff are now at that point where we've been working on it for so long that it's second nature to us. Um, So I do really feel like, uh, the the thing that's going to stop the show would be Seth himself saying, okay, I'm done. I, I don't want to do it anymore. But he right. hasn't expressed anything like that to me. Um, so we'll just keep keep cranking him out. What's uh first of all, it's c- congratulations that he's still talking to you. That may be the <laughs> longest <laughs> Hollywood. friendship that survived. Yes. <laughs> Second, um the way the uh the uh, the people that the WGA is negotiating with the producers, most big producers of association, uh, the way they would describe animation is exactly how you described it because it sounded uh, romantic. 
And then yeah. it flies overseas <laughs> to Korea where it's turned into a cartoon. You know, it would sound wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> the 1950s industrial film about yeah. animation <laughs> and you. and third do you what's next or what's parallel do you have a project you're working on that's um some endeavor that you're digging that you want to try to get out there or you want to yeah well i mean exactly what you're doing at this exact moment i have a podcast i love doing it Um, promote that thing right now it's called a typical disgusting display which is based on the the johnny most quote from the 80s when he was watching the pistons uh and so i (laughs) I love that quote um but it's myself and another family guy writer uh john goldblatt who's very funny and it, our tagline is it's a podcast for writers by writers who hate writing. So <laughs> that's kind of like our our thing. But we end up talking about, you know, anything. But we've had some, you know, we've had some good guests and uh, it's just that's it's fantastic. very fun to do. And and as you would appreciate every every week we do a very truncated, brief, uh, fake Johnny Carson monologue. Oh, that's fantastic. Uh, Ed, I do that with my wife now. We'll just do, uh, I'll just do drinking tags, Ed, Ed McMahon drinking tags on anything she says. (laughs) Somebody needs uh, a little nappy poo. (laughs) Uh, before we leave, because we're out of time. Yeah. Uh, but since you brought up Johnny Most, is it true that, uh, the Bobby Orr call was, I, I hear, that uh, he's he's coming down. It's the playoffs or the Stanley Cup Finals or something, and uh, the the Bruins are losing or they're down a goal. And uh, here comes Bobby or the length of the ice. He takes a shot. Jesus Christ! It hit the fucking post. <laughs> I've heard that he actually said that on the air. He was so frustrated. Oh my God! I'd never heard that. I've heard many Johnny. I, I mean, I, he definitely did light himself on fire with his own cigarette during a Celtics game. That one <laughs> I know. And you can hear him calling. There was a guy, his his co-host guy was a guy named Glenn. And you can hear him say, Glenn, Glenn, put me in the water. You know, he'd lit himself on fire. Put me um, out. <laughs> I had never heard the Bobby Orr thing, but I, I have a good friend on the Family Guy staff, Danny Smith, who's a hockey junkie. And he's um, probably a decade older than I am. So th- I will ask him about yeah. that. Yeah, let me I, know I if he can him. verify that. Yeah. Uh, meantime, uh, we'll have you back on the podcast uh, sometime. Would love uh, that. Because, of course, we've just scratched the surface here, and it's so much fun to talk about this crap. So uh, Alex Sulkin, thank you so much for coming on. What a blast. Thanks for having me, Jeff. Always be happy to come back. Always.